The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, I'm Melinda Hamilgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is an honor to welcome my guest, Mr. Rick Dove. He is a photojournalist and senior advisor to the Waterkeeper Alliance. In fact, Mr. Dove has been a part of the Waterkeeper movement since 1993. He was one of the founding members of the Waterkeeper Alliance Board. He served on its first board of directors and as the former riverkeeper for the Noose River in North Carolina and one of the first riverkeepers in the Southeast, Mr. Dove has assisted in the birth of many of the Waterkeeper programs in North Carolina, as well as many others across the country. Mr. Dove pioneered the use of aircraft in documenting sources of pollution. And if you've seen any images of the horrific spills that have happened both through the coal ash and the livestock disasters related to Florence, those were likely his photographs. During the 1990s, his advocacy on behalf of the Noose River pertaining to its horrific fish kills and human health impacts resulting from the deadly vampire organism Fisteria gained worldwide attention, and major reforms in pollution practices throughout the Noose watershed resulted. His photographs have appeared in many publications, and you might have seen his work in important books, including Animal Factory and The Waters Turn to Blood, This Moment on Earth, Crimes Against Nature, and Righteous Porkchop. Prior to joining the Waterkeeper Movement, Mr. Dove is a licensed attorney, and he served as a United States Marine. After 25 years and serving twice in Vietnam, he retired as a colonel and military judge, and his many honors include the EPA Region 4 Merit Award and being named one of Time Magazine Time for Kids Heroes of the Planet. He now advises the Waterkeeper Alliance's Pure Farms, Pure Waters campaign in North Carolina. The campaign has served as a nationwide model for its effectiveness in the prevention of environmental abuses of industrial animal factories. He lives on the Noose River near New Bern, North Carolina. Welcome, Mr. Dove. It's an honor to have you with me. Thank you for having me. Well, I have been aware of your writing and your images over the course of, say, the past decade in which you've documented the horrific effects of hurricanes and the worsening storms on pollution in the beautiful North Carolina eastern shore. And I wonder if you could just tell us, how did you become involved in the Waterkeeper Alliance? Well, it was quite by chance. Um, I had retired from the Marine Corps, and I wanted to do what I had dreamed about as a young man and become a commercial fisherman. <laughs> My parents pushed me on to school, and, and of course I did other things. And But I never, lost, uh, I never lost my desire to be a commercial fisherman. So when I retired from the Marine Corps, I walked out the gate in my spit-shine shoes and uniform and went home and put on my oldest, dirtiest clothes and went out on the river with my son and opened a seafood store and was having the time of my life until the fish began to die and we began to get sick and suffer memory loss and sores on our body and had to walk away from it. And then an opportunity came up with the Noose River Foundation to become a waterkeeper. 
and the News River Keeper, and that's how it all started back in 1993. So were you being affected at the time by the organism Fisteria? I was. I didn't know it at the time. My son and I were suffering from memory loss. I had sores on my body, and I knew that something was wrong in the river because the sores on the fish were exactly the same as the ones that we were suffering. But I didn't know what was doing it. I didn't know if it was human waste in the water or just what it was. It wasn't until around 1992 or 93 that the organism Fisteria piscicida was discovered. And the impacts of that and the neurotoxin it put in the air as well as the water were all linked to the symptoms that my son and I were suffering. And so how did that organism come to be in the river? Well, it's likely been around forever. It's a vampire organism. It's a one-cell animal. You could put 100,000 of them on the head of a pin. Yet when it's in the water and too many nutrients are in the water, too much fertilizer, for example, it grows out of control. And then it attacks fish by putting a neurotoxin in the water, which also gets in the air. The fish suffocate or die from it, and they attack the fish to get to its blood cells because that's what they eat. They eat blood cells. And they'll do the same thing to people as they do to fish. It was very scary. There was a team of doctors out of the University of Maryland that did some research on the Pocomoke River where it attacked up there. And they documented all this, verified it, and published their report in the world's leading medical journal, The Lancet. So it was over a period of years that we finally found out exactly what had happened to us. And we know that this organism Fisteria and these massive fish kills that we suffered on the river where in just a few weeks a billion fish would die. We knew that that had never happened in North Carolina until the hog industry came. And while they're not obviously totally responsible for all the pollution in the river, they certainly are a big source. Well, I have looked on maps and I have seen just how many confined animal feeding operations exist in North Carolina. I believe you are one of the leading states for the industrial hog industry, as well as the poultry industry. And I believe it was back in the 90s when the first hurricane of significance hit and caused massive destruction of these facilities where we saw images, and I believe they were your images, of hogs floating in the water. And I believe these images were so horrific that the industry now doesn't open the gates and let the animals out. They just die in place. Tell me about your first incident where you captured these images of dead hogs. I've been following hurricanes in North Carolina. There's just been a lot of them going all the way back to 96 with Bertha and Fran. And then the big one was Floyd in the 90s. That was in 1999. But then we've had other hurricanes in the 2000s. We've had Irene, uh, Isabel, and then just two years ago we had Matthew. So this hurricane was pretty much the same as Floyd, which was certainly the worst this one in many ways was as bad or in worse than Floyd, but hurricanes affect different areas. So one hurricane will impact one area of eastern North Carolina and another one would, would impact somewhere else. So it's really hard to measure, except when we fly and we see all these confinement buildings underwater with poultry and with hogs. 
we know that if there are animals inside, and many times there are because they couldn't get them out, that they're likely all dying. It's hard to know how many die because, you know, frankly, I just don't trust the figures of the industry. And it's a sad situation. I followed it during Floyd, after Floyd, and, and all the other hurricanes. Yeah, I think it was the images from Floyd when I first really became aware of the horrific consequences of the storms. And as you say, we are seeing more of them. They are becoming stronger. They do hit different regions, as you say. But I'm wondering, what happens next? So as a dietitian, I'm concerned about certainly antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria that are getting out in the water. We've seen the urine and the feces. And I think it's interesting just how much waste hogs produce, and yet it is not treated other than collecting it in an open pit, what is called a lagoon by the industry. So what happens next? Now that the disaster has struck, the floods have come, the waste is streaming into rivers and the ocean, what do we do? Well, the answer to that in one word is nothing. I know that everybody believes that after a hurricane like Floyd or like Florence just hit us and we have all these images and we see all this fecal waste running down the rivers from chickens and from pigs and uh, there's some recent images showing from satellites that washing out into the ocean and covering the beaches of North Carolina. Yes. It's very dangerous stuff. Everybody thinks, well, this is it. Now the government's going to act. The state of North Carolina's going to act. They'll get these cesspools, these earthen pits out of the harm's way along the rivers. But I've been through a lot of storms, and it's never happened before. I mean, they say they're going to do it. But then the buildings get repaired, the animals get put back in, and everything is right there in harm's way waiting for the next hurricane. Mm-hmm. And we go through this again and again and again and again. And I would like to be hopeful that this one will make the difference, but I doubt it. The costs involved in cleanup, just from the industry's perspective alone, must be so great that one would think that the industry might reconsider the placement of their facilities? Well, North Carolina has the highest concentration in the United States and maybe even in the world. I mean, we're second in the number of hogs that we have here, but we're number one in how tightly they're packed into the very environmentally sensitive area of the coastal plain of North Carolina. It's full of rivers, streams, creeks, wetlands, beautiful area. But all of these factory farms, they're all crammed into this beautiful, environmentally sensitive area. And we see streams, rivers, ditches running right through these facilities where they spray this waste from the lagoons to get rid of it. And we see it running into our rivers. We sample and we we see it in the sampling. We see it in the photographs. On the best of days, they're discharging. So what do we do? How how do we get them out of here? How do we get them into the technology that is available? How do we get them to spend the money? That's the trick. And the ace in the hole they have is that they basically own the General Assembly of North Carolina. Right. And anytime they're, they're in any kind of difficulty, you'll have 
legislators in North Carolina rallying to their aid, passing bills that even when the governor vetoes them, they override his veto. We have a good governor right now vetoing bills, but they keep passing them, making it more and more difficult to do anything to regulate this industry. Mm -hmm. And let me point one other thing out. It's very important. You know, we're talking about fecal waste here. We're talking feces and urine, and, and please forgive me for using those terms, but that's exactly what we're dealing with in North Carolina. That's right. And that fecal and urine waste that comes from hogs is basically the same as what comes from people. Right. We would never take people from the vast lands of the United States, move them into a city in the coastal plain of North Carolina of 30,000, 40,000 people without putting in a wastewater treatment plant. We would never put it into open pits and just spray it all over the ground. Yeah. But the industry, when they brought all of these hogs from the Midwest and put all those family farmers out of business all across the United States to industrialize, here in eastern North Carolina, they brought the outhouse with them. This method of storing the animal waste in earthen pits and when they fill up, spraying it all over the ground, which is heavily ditched in an area that is very, very heavy in rainfall, it doesn't work. It can't work. It never will work. So what the industry needs to do is to put in the same kind of waste treatment systems that we use for people when we move people into cities. If they did that, it would cost them an awful lot of money. And probably any traditional family farmer in America could outcompete them at the marketplace. Right. So they're never going to want to do that. So they keep fighting to hold on to this pollution-based system that they have of getting rid of their waste. And we here in eastern North Carolina are suffering under that. Indeed. Now, I'm fortunate. I live on the Noose River. My impacts are to the pollution in the river and the fish that die and stink up the beach here. But the poor people that live all across eastern North Carolina are surrounded by these factories of fecal waste in these open lagoons. And they complain about this waste being sprayed on the fields. It gets on their houses, their cars. It's a mess. Yes, it and is. Why we stay with it is something I just don't understand. Well, let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where we are joined by Mr. Rick Dove. He is a senior advisor to the Waterkeeper Alliance and a photojournalist who has been documenting the harms from these severe storms in North Carolina with regard to the effects of the industrial livestock industry and how it affects our beautiful rivers, streams, and coastline. Well, I have an article here that was sent to me by a gentleman with Johns Hopkins, and it was an article that you wrote that appeared in the Washington Post, and the title is, I saw Florence sending millions of gallons of animal feces flooding across North Carolina. I've been watching from the air with alarm. And in it, you address the issue of language, and I think the language that we use is so important when it comes to impacting policy. And you had apologized for using the terms feces and urine, but indeed, those are the correct words to use. And you say the language that is used by the industry is lagoons and that they've become overtopped. But really, what they are are cesspools, and they are spilling out into our precious waterways and contaminating our drinking water, let alone the water that we want to swim and fish in. 
So the language, I think, is one of the levers that we have to cry out and call out what is happening. I know the information that you shared about the individuals who are, in fact, being affected, mostly low-income people of color who really don't have a voice, let alone the resources to impact the legislature. What can we do to help move this issue forward? Is it merely stopping buying these corporate hog products? Is it calling every legislator we know? What is our biggest way to impact what's going on? That's such a good question. It's also such a hard one. People, first of all, need to become aware. And my feeling has always been that the strongest message that can be delivered to this industry comes from the court of public opinion. So as people become educated and they know what's happening, not just here in North Carolina, but in Iowa and Nebraska and Wisconsin and, and so many other places, mm-hmm. they're having the same problem. These people are having the same complaints. The waters are being contaminated in the same way. So as we get into the court of public opinion, people need to write letters to the editor. They need to call their congressman. They need to complain. But the most important thing that I think they can do is to shop wisely. When you go to the supermarket and you look at pork chops or bacon, regardless of what company produced them, understand that if they are, and they are likely, a product of industrial production, that the price you're paying is not cheap. It is very expensive because it comes at the expense of your neighbor's and your fellow Americans who live out here in North Carolina and Iowa and Nebraska and these other places where these factory swine facilities and poultry facilities are located. So shop wisely. Find a local market. If you can't find a local market, go online. They'll ship it to you. Or move to a plant-based diet or eat less meat. That is the only way this industry will ever make the changes that are necessary. They respond to public action, to public opinion. So if the public starts talking in ways that the industry doesn't like, the industry will listen. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We talked a little bit before we went on air about who owns the hog facilities They had been Smithfield operations. Now the Smithfield was bought to the Chinese group, the WH group. So I wonder about the Chinese investment. So do they have to pay the price of the cleanup or will it be passed on to American taxpayers to do the ultimate bailout through USDA? Very good question. Most of the hogs in eastern North Carolina are owned by a Chinese-based corporation called WH Group. Mr. Wan Long is the chief executive, and he is, you know, he's from China, and it is in China. Smithfield Foods used to own these hogs, and they only own them now as a, a company wholly owned by the WH Group. Smithfield, to my knowledge, is no longer publicly traded. So they're really a subsidiary of, of WH Group, as it is Murphy in, in, in that operation, which is what started all the hogs here in North Carolina. But it's an interesting thing because the way this is all set up is that this industry 
WH Group, Smithfield, Murphy Brown, these are all called integrators. They own the hogs, but they give the hogs under contract to a local grower. The local grower is responsible to build the buildings, to do it exactly as the industry says they want it done, to build the lagoons, but they're also responsible for anything that goes wrong. For example, they only get paid for the hogs that live. If a hog dies, then they're responsible for that hog to bury it, and they don't get paid for it. If the lagoon breaks loose, or they, if they violate and spray into ditches and it runs into the waterway, they're responsible for that. They're responsible for the pollution. Under contract, the integrator takes all of the liability and shifts it down to the local grower, which is really unfair mm-hmm. because the, the local grower has no other option. He, he either grows for the integrator or he doesn't grow at all, doesn't grow the hogs at all. Right. So the integrator has so much control. And when things go wrong, like in these hurricanes, like with Florence, everybody's looking at the local grower because he's got a problem with his lagoon. Well, he can't afford to get rid of a lagoon and put in a wastewater treatment system. Only Smithfield and WH Group, who own Smithfield, can do that. They're the only ones that have the resources to do that. So we're kind of stuck with growers who can't afford to do the right thing and an industry who grows their hogs under contract with that grower who won't do the right thing. So the pressure has to come from the public to force our legislators to force a change in the treatment facilities. Yeah, and, and that comes hard. That, that's very hard, but it, that's the only way. But you've got to realize that the industry pours a lot of money into legislators and contributions for campaigns and so on and so right. on. So whenever anything happens in North Carolina, for example, you, when the drone technology became available... There were many groups that wanted to fly drones to get video of what's going on on these hog farms, and the General Assembly in North Carolina came up very quickly and said, you cannot fly a drone over a hog farm in North Carolina. And then they increased the trespass laws, and they came up with gag laws, and you know they, they do everything to protect the industry, nothing to protect the people who are forced to live near these factory farms. Well, and I can only imagine that the individuals who had a livelihood, the only livelihood they knew in the fishing industry, their lives have been devastated as well. Yes, there are a lot of people in eastern North Carolina who are suffering as a result of of this whole thing. And there are a lot of people trapped. Yeah. Um, People who work for the industry, who need these jobs and it would all be so much better if the industry would just go ahead and invest in the clean technologies that are, exist. Right. We don't have to invent anything new. We know exactly what's needed to properly treat the waste, to get rid of the odor, and to be a good neighbor. The industry just does not want to spend the money to do it. Exactly. In addition to the hog waste and the poultry waste that's gone into the waterways, you also have the added burden of the coal ash. And I can't imagine the combination of toxic soup that is affecting the residents of North Carolina. I hope that the North Carolina Department of Health is monitoring what's happening as a result of the disasters. The 
coal ash problem is horrific. I have flown over the Sutton plant near Wilmington four or five times in the last four days. And I flew as recently as yesterday, and I took video and I took pictures. They can see them up on the waterkeeper.org website on the Flickr account. They're, they're posted up there. But you can see the coal ash just, and, and that's very toxic stuff, by the way. Right. You can see it running downstream. I think there's something like 30,000 people that are downstream on the Cape Fear River where this ash is just flowing right through their communities uh, along the river, which is flooded heavily in that area. Mm-hmm. You can see the berms broken loose. You can see the coal ash, the gray ash running everywhere. It's a, it's a terrible mess at, uh, at Wilmington, at Sutton. And then, of course, we've had coal ash spills in the past up in Danville and up at the Lee plant on the Noose River in Goldsboro. This business of burning coal and storing the ash over many, many, many years and now trying to get rid of it, it's an expensive proposition. And the industry is looking for cheaper ways to do it. Then comes a hurricane, and it takes care of business by pushing all of that coal ash right down on the people. Mm. You know, I, I believe mercury and arsenic are present in the coal ash. And I know I've looked at what happens to children's brains when they're exposed to tiny parts of these toxins, parts per billion. It is. Um, and there are many different toxins in there, the ones you mentioned, but there are many, many more. Mm. I, I do the photography and the videography, but Donna Lisenby and others who you should get on your program. Donna Lisenby would be a real good person. She's with Waterkeeper, and she's actually been at Wilmington, and um, she's been out on the boat actually over the uh, ash ponds that they have there, and they've been taking samples, and she really could give you a great report on just how toxic and dangerous the situation is with, uh, with the Sutton plant. Well, I will be sure to bring her voice to our listeners in the future. We just have a couple of minutes left, so I want to give you an opportunity to contribute anything else to this conversation that I might have missed. Well, you know, here's the way I see it. We are in a race to get this all fixed. There are the laws of men and there are the laws of nature. Uh, the laws of nature are far superior to anything we pass as laws. Our General Assembly can say it's okay to do all these things and hurricanes and cause the pollution. They can excuse everything. But at some point, if we don't fix this ourselves, Mother Nature's going to step in with a consequence that none of us can tolerate. It could be the swine flu. It could be fish kills. It could be toxic gases. I, I don't know. But this much I do know. Mother Nature is not going to allow us to continue doing what we're doing on these factory animal facilities without giving us a consequence, the likes of which we will not like. Mm. Thank you for that. I will make sure that our listeners have a link to the article that appeared in the Washington Post. I will have a link to the Waterkeeper Alliance website. In closing, I need to let our listeners know that uh, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank you, Mr. Dove, for documenting what we can't see from the ground 
And I want to thank you for writing about it and showing us the real harms that we are experiencing and will continue to experience unless we change our ways. I want to remind everyone that we have been speaking with Mr. Rick Dove. He has been part of the Waterkeeper movement since 1993. He is the senior advisor to the Waterkeeper Alliance, and he is a photojournalist extraordinaire. We'll make sure to show your pictures. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me. 